All right. Good morning, everyone. How are you doing? Huh? What did you, did you say something? Are you good this morning? All right. How many of you filled out the, the church survey already? Put up your hand. For those of you that haven't done it yet, I want to let you know we have one more week. It closes next Sunday night at midnight, and we encourage you to do this, whether you're a member or a non-member, whether you're a tender, you've just started, or whether you've been here for 90 years. It, uh, it doesn't really matter. Let me tell you, right now, because I can check this on my phone, we have 81 responses. Give yourselves a hand, we got 81. The only problem is I want 250. So could you do that for me? Would you do that for me? If you can, don't do it during this sermon. I'll be ticked if I hear that. <laughs> it's going to take you a half an hour. It's probably a little harder on your phone, but it can be done on your phone. And uh, I want to just encourage you. I'm learning some incredible things about this church. And uh, it's exciting to see what God is doing here and what you're telling me through this. So please, will you do that for me? Would you do that? Got it? Good. That's great. You got your sermon outline? Let's get going. We're going to talk, as Austin said, we're going to talk about a new series, and I'm excited about this series because it helps us remember who we are. My focus for the month is discovering our heritage. As I spent time with many of the attendees of this church, one of the themes that kept coming up was how appreciative many were of how our district staff and our elders and our staff went through the process of just going through not having a pastor here and getting us to this place. There's always protection when you live and operate under constituted authority. When you submit to constituted authority, there is a covering of protection. Many of you here today have yet to start your journey with the Alliance. You don't know an awful lot about that. And some of what I'm going to talk about with you, it may be new information, but I want you to see it as foundational. I, like you, maybe, I didn't start up in the Alliance. I didn't grow up in the Alliance Church. In fact, I adopted this denomination by the eight, when I was about 21 years old. And I, there were several reasons why I did it, but there was a process for men and women to become full-time teaching pastors, and that's called the dreaded word, accreditation. Now, I'm embarrassed to relay this story to you, but I want, I want you to understand our shared alliance roots. And during my last year in a Bible college, a non-alliance Bible college, for those of you that know anything about Briarcrest, that's my alma mater, and that's a good thing, but when you were trying to get into the alliance back in the early days, it was a real tough thing. So I was invited when I was in my last year of school to go candidate to be a youth pastor at an Alliance Church in Brandon, Manitoba. So I went for the weekend and shortly after the senior pastor called me and they wanted me to join the team. And I was excited because I was going to be graduating in a couple of months. That meant that at least I had a job to go to and that was, that was pretty cool. However, there was this little issue that I needed to overcome. I needed to get accredited to get this position. Well, you may be like me this morning, and you went, accredited? Like, what's that? 
Well, I said, fine. What do I need to do? And the pastor said, the district superintendent will call you for a meeting and you can have a coffee and discuss the process and we'll go from there. That's great. So the day came and just before I, I left the house, I thought it would be a good idea to put my Bible in the car with me. And I arrived in Regina at the office and the district superintendent met me as I came through the front doors and he said, Bob, I've got a problem. I said, I've got to be in Ontario for four weeks, so I've, I thought we would do the formal interview today. I'm thinking coffee. See a problem here? He led me into his office, past this huge portrait of a man I didn't recognize, and then there were three other men sitting in his office in, in a row of chairs, and I swallowed hard, and I knew I was in trouble. We prayed, and then the DS asked one of the men to start, and so we just thought we'd start soft. So he said, Bob, I want to know how well you know your Bible, so I want to start with Genesis, and we'll work our way through to Revelation, okay? Remember a couple of weeks ago, I said, when fear enters, logic leaves? Case in point. Intimidated by this cross-examination, I tensed up and I couldn't even find John 3.16, let alone tell you what John 3.16 meant. For about an hour, I continued to dig a deeper hole, only demonstrating my ignorance. The more frustrated I became, became the worse it got, and when the last man said, Bob, do you know who A.B. Simpson is? I was reaching for a lifeline, man, I needed a savior. But knowing I had already sealed my fate because I had done so poorly, I said, did he play football? Because <laughs> the only one I knew was O.J. Simpson. They didn't laugh. But I knew the interview was over. So the DS explained that I didn't pass the test. Now that wasn't a surprise to me. However, he said, if you choose to, you could return if you wish and try it again. Remember that. Then he escorted me out of the office, walking past this huge portrait of the founder of the denomination, Reverend A.B. Simpson. Some of you will get that tomorrow afternoon, what that meant. Not having been raised with the Alliance, I was ignorant of the remarkable heritage called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. So today, I want to help you see some of the precious parts of the denomination that we're a part of. Because as, as we go through the history wall, and I'm putting it together, we're going to be doing a history wall town hall probably sometime in January, February. You're going to see the monstrosity of history, 90 years, and I'm going to walk you through it, and you're going to hear about the, the beginnings of what this ministry was all about, and you're going to hear names that talk about a district superintendent. You're going to hear about how the alliance started. And so to understand the elements of the alliance, you have to consider with me what we call the fourfold gospel, and each one focuses on the person of Jesus. Now, if you look at that little emblem over there, it says the whole, is that whole Christ? I can't, I'm, I'm missing part of it. Does it say whole Christ? Yeah. Okay, see that little thing underneath it? Looks like a cross. There you go. There's the fourfold gospel. 
Christ our Savior, he's the cross, sanctifier, healer, coming king. We're going to talk about the rest of them as we go on. But today, we want to talk about Jesus our Savior. You see, Simpson discovered the plain truth that our Christian walk hinges on the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. His life, his ministry, his death, and his resurrection. In his book, In Heavenly Places, A.B. Simpson says this, Christ is the essence of all things, and in him they have all things. He is their sanctification, he is their providence, he is their joy, he is their power, he is their all in all. Here's what I want you to know this morning. Our only hope is found in Jesus. We sang about that this morning. No one or nothing else. And here's what I want you to do this morning. If you've not done so already, I want you to think about making the decision to simply say yes to Jesus as your Savior. John Newton, in that great hymn, The Amazing Grace, says, Although my memory's fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. So do you want to consider the question that people are asking, why do we need a Savior today? In your notes, if you have them, it's going to be a little bit heavier today, but I think it's helpful for us to understand the foundation of this. Why do we need a Savior? First of all, because humanity is guilty before a holy judge. We discover in the narrative of the fall of humanity in Genesis chapter 3, that because Adam and Eve disobeyed God, the whole human race was infected by a deadly virus called sin. This one act created a chasm to separate holy God and sinful humanity. And all throughout the Old Testament, you read of the people of Israel being led through generations of people following a law, seeking to satisfy the righteous requirements of a holy God. And as you come to the New Testament, you will see the culmination of God's plan to bring reconciliation into being. In the book of Romans, Paul writes this. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. Verse 23 says, For everyone sin, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty of our own sins. If you have your notes, I want you to circle those two words, yet God right next to that 24. Yet God. This is why at the end of the message we'll be celebrating communion to, today because we're gonna, we, wanna, we wanna remember his death and we wanna remember that through his death and his resurrection that he freed us. And that's why this is so important for us this morning. At the close of a gospel service, an intelligent looking man came to the pastor and said, I don't think I don't see any necessity for the blood of Christ in my salvation. I can be saved without believing in his shed blood. Very well, said the pastor. 
How do you propose to be saved? The man said, by following his example, was his answer. That's enough for any man. I suppose it is, said the pastor. And you propose to do just that in your life? Mm -hmm. I do, and I'm sure that that's enough. Very well, said the pastor. I'm sure that you want to begin right. He said, yes. Well, the word of God tells us how to do that. I, I, I read here concerning Christ who did no sin and neither was guile found in his mouth. I suppose that you can say that about yourself too. The man was visibly embarrassed. Well, he said, I cannot say that exactly. I sometimes sin. Well, in that case, the pastor said, you don't need an example. You need a savior. And the only way to salvation is by his shed blood. James chapter 2 says in your notes, the person who keeps all of the laws except one, underline except one, is guilty as the person who has broken all of God's laws. We need a Savior. The good news is we have a Savior. So in your notes, if we are guilty, then our need is to be forgiven. And we are guilty before a holy God, without Christ. And we need to be forgiven. Christina Baldwin said, forgiveness is the act of admitting that we are like other people. C.S. Lewis said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. Paul Young said this, forgiveness is not about forgetting, it's about letting go of the other person's throat. The precious truth presented in the scripture is that through the shed blood of Jesus, the charge of us being guilty due to our sin was pardoned due to the person and work of Jesus Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, then you are free. That's why we could sing it this morning. We're free. Turn to your neighbor and say, I can be free in Jesus. And turn back and say, that's the good news. The second reason why we need a savior is because, secondly, humanity is alienated from the father of love. Sin caused that great separation of us and God. In the Old Testament, the Israelites were told to construct a tent. Then it was called a tent or a tent of tabernacle or the temple of God. And each had a heavy curtain that symbolized this point of sinful humanity being separated from a holy God. And once a year, a high priest, whoever it was, got to go inside and offer a sacrifice on the Ark of the Covenant that was behind the curtain. It was so holy that if the high priest somehow violated the righteous requirements, he would drop dead. And he went in with a rope tied to his leg so that if he did die, they could pull him out because no one else could go in there for fear of losing their own life. Pastor Bob, well, that doesn't sound like a father of love to me. At first, it might sound like that. But as you study the Bible, you begin to know God loved you and me so much that he provided a way back into a relationship with God through the shed blood of his son, Jesus. 
if he didn't love us. He would have left us alienated from him. Listen to what Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians. In your notes, for Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the wall of hostility, hostility pardon me, that separates us. That's the thing I just talked about. He did this by ending the system of law with all its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. So in your notes, look what it says. If we are alienated, then our need is to be restored. You see, he created a new group called the body of Christ. Not only are we, are we restored with Almighty God, but we also can be restored with each other. God has forgiven us so much. Yet, last month I interviewed 60 people. Heard their stories. I heard more hurt, more bitterness, more judgment than I care to tell you about. And that happens in every transition. You see, it's not the big things, it's the relatively minor things that we don't forget. And don't worry, in the new year, I'm going to talk about forgiveness. We're going to spend a whole month on it. Because it's so important for us in the Christian life. This is what boggles my mind. We can be forgiven for all of our sin from Jesus Christ by saying yes to him. But we can't forgive those that have offended us. I want you to write down this passage in your notes. It's not in your notes. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I want you to go home and study this. If you have a little bit of bitterness in your heart, you'll have a little hardness in your heart, you have a little bit of resentment in your heart. If there's anything that you have with somebody else, I want you to read those two verses and ask God to speak to you about it. John Newton said this, when I get to heaven, I shall have three wonders there. First, the first wonder will be to see so many people there whom I didn't expect to see. The second, the second wonder will be to miss any people whom I expected to see there. And the third and the greatest wonder of all will be to find myself there, he said. Humanity is guilty before a holy judge. Humanity is alienated from the father of love. Don't miss this next one. Number three, humanity is in bondage from the father of lies. Since Adam sinned, we became slaves to Satan. Jesus called Satan a liar and the father of lies in John chapter 8, verse 44. He is doing everything he can to deceive us from the truth of God's word. He is the accuser of the believer. He is the one who condemns. The only, the Holy Spirit, he convicts us and convinces us that we need a savior. By, by the way, friend, Satan can't create anything. He's not a creator. He's a copier and a counterfeiter. He takes everything that God has created and he distorts it. I could go through a number of things to illustrate that. Sex, money, authority, 
I could go on. The enemy has distorted it. What God meant for good, the enemy distorts it. Friend, listen to this today. Know the truth. Understand the good news. There is a way of escape from this bondage. And it's in Jesus. Paul said in his letter to Timothy, the young pastor who was having trouble with people opposing the truth. Look what it says. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Would you underline and circle the word gently? Perhaps God will change those people's hearts. Can I stop right there? Who changes their hearts? You? The Lord does. Maybe we should pray that the Lord would change people's hearts rather than talk about them. Because it's only the Lord that's going to convict. It's only the Lord that's going to soften their hearts. It's only the Lord that's going to open their eyes to see that if they want to have a relationship with him and have their sins forgiven, that they're going to need to have forgiveness with other people. Look what it says. And they will learn the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap, for they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. So in your notes, if we are in bondage, then our need is to be set free. The late Charles Colson, the man who founded Prison Fellowship Ministries, had been down in Brazil where the Prison Fellowship runs a prison. They don't just have volunteers in the prison, actually they run the prison and the staff of the Prison Fellowship volunteers, they take care of the overall ministry. The inmates run the security. Think of this for a minute. It's tough, but they run it. They have Bible studies and rehabilitation programs. And they, the return rate to the prison is less than 5%. The average church, or the average church, the average jail, the return rate is between 70 and 90%. When Colson visited, as he always did, he always asked, do you have a solitary confinement cell? And of course, the answer is yes. Well, can I see it? You sure you want to? Yes, I do. They would take him downstairs and he walked through the basement past where the former uh, Junus torture chambers were located down to the end of the corridor where there was a great big door. The guy said to him that was giving him the tour, are you sure you want to go in there? Sure, I want to go in there. Colson replied. He opened the they opened this heavy door, turned the handle and began to open it. He stopped again. He said, are you sure you want to go in there? Colson said, of course I do. Whenever I visit a prison, I want to go to the solitary confinement. The man opened the door and Chuck Colson told the story. I walked inside that cell and there was a table with two candles and some flowers and a picture of Jesus Christ on the cross. The inmate guide said, that's the guy who's doing time for us. Today, I want you to see that if you don't know Jesus as your savior, then you are guilty before God. You are alienated from God. 
and you're a slave to the father of lies. So what do you need to do? Well, in your notes, your response is this. Look at what it says in Romans chapter 10. And the message is very, the, the mess, and that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So what do you need to do? Three things. Let's bring this to a close. Number one, you need to receive it. Christ has done everything necessary to take care of your guilt, your, your alienation, and your bondage. But it doesn't go into effect until you receive his gift of salvation. You might get the most incredible gift this Christmas. But if you don't open it, you don't get to enjoy the benefits of that gift. In the same way, Christ's offering of salvation won't do you any good until you receive it. According to an ancient legend, a man became lost in his travels and wandered into a bed of quicksand. Confucius saw the man's predicament and said, it's evident that men should stay out of places like this. Next, Buddha observed the situation and said, let that man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. And then Muhammad came by and said to the sinking man, alas, it, was, it is the will of God. And finally, Jesus appeared on the scene and said, take my hand, brother, I want to save you. You see, Jesus has his hand out to you this morning if you don't know him. You need to receive it. The second thing is you need to live it. You see, we're not saved to soak and sit and sour. We're saved to be free, to serve, to love, and to grow. Are you walking in freedom? You need to be like the girl who said to Jesus, all I want to do is serve you because you bought me to set me free. Remember I told you a few weeks ago that I believe everyone reads the Bible, that they may not pick up a paper copy or even have one on their smartphone, but for some, the only Bible they read is you. What version are they reading? You see, you need to receive it, you need to live it, and the third thing is you need to share it. If you have been saved from your guilt, alienation, and bondage, and, and set free from your prison cell, then you need to point others to the one who has already accomplished all that work on your behalf and on their behalf. William Dixon lived in Breckenway, England. He was a widower who had also lost his only son. And one day he saw that the house of one of his neighbors was on fire. Although the aged owner was rescued, her orphan grandson was trapped in the blaze and Dixon climbed an iron pipe on the side of the house and lowered the, body, the, the boy to safety. His hand that held onto the pipe was badly burned, as you can imagine. Shortly after the fire, the grandmother died and the townspeople wondered who was going to take care of this boy. And so two volunteers appeared before town council. One was a father who had lost his son 
and would like to adopt the orphan as his own. And the second one was William Dixon. And when he came up to speak, instead of pleading his case, he just simply showed him his hand. And when the vote was taken, the boy was given to him. He had paid the price. He had saved him. He had rescued him. The Apostle John wrote in 1 John chapter 4, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so we might have eternal life through him. This is, circle this, real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I want you to see that it was initiated by God. He has come to you this morning. He has come to you with his hands scarred and his feet scarred. He said, this is how much I love you. I want to set you free. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Close your notes up for a second. I'm going to wrap up. I want to just share one little piece with you, and then we're going to be moving towards communion. It's called Our Greatest Need. If our greatest need was for information, then God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need was for technology, then God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need was for pleasure, then God would have sent us an entertainer. And if our greatest need was for money, then God would have sent us an economist. But since our greatest need is for forgiveness, God sent us a savior, Jesus. Because that's what we need. In Simpson's famous hymn called Jesus Only, these are the words regarding this theme. All our guilt he bore away, all our righteousness he gives us, all our strength from day to day. Because Jesus is our Savior. That's where it all starts. Amen? Let's pray together. Invite the worship team to join me here. Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us here today. And in the quietness of our, just our minds and heart, would you listen for his voice this morning, his prompting? And ask this question, what is it, Holy Spirit, that you want to say to me today? If you're here today or you're watching online and you have discovered today that you need a Savior, then how are you going to respond to this invitation? Jesus is presenting you with a gift, salvation, a relationship with him. There's just three things to do with this truth. One is to receive it. 
believe that Jesus died on the cross for you and that he showed that he was God by coming back to life? Do you believe that? If you do, accept God's free gift of forgiveness. Then you need to live it. You need to switch to God's plan for your life. Turn from your sins and act on this glorious news that you can be set free. And then thirdly, share it. Tell someone today. At the end of the service, our prayer team will be here to the right of me, to the left of you. And they, they would love to hear about your amazing journey this morning. So pray this prayer with me. Dear God, I don't understand it all yet. But I believe you love me and made me for your purposes. I'm sorry that I live for myself instead of you. And I ask for your forgiveness. Thank you for sending Jesus to pay for my sins. I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Please help me to learn to love you and to trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.